it can't be easy growing up as the son of an NBA coach, but there's a lot of things that come with that. A lot of uh, wisdom, a lot of knowledge. And today's guest is going to share a lot of the things that he's learned throughout his career. Um, and you get to see that not only as the son of a coach, but as a player and now a head coach himself, uh, he's going to share a lot of his experience. I mean, I watched this guy play at Boise state throughout his career. I followed his professional career as a player, not only in the NBA, but overseas. And now he is the head coach of the South Bay Lakers. It's going to be an amazing conversation. You don't want to miss this episode of the Game Time Guru. So, what time is it? Game Time Boost! This is the Game Time Guru podcast, where I interview sports figures from all over the world to help deliver a panoramic view on sports. So whether you're a former athlete, one of the crazies, or simply a casual sports fan, this is the perfect show for you as we peel back the curtains and learn from our guests every single week. I'm your host, Shane Larson, and I'm helping you see sports through a different lens. What's going on, everyone? Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. My name is Shane Larson, host of the show. I want to give a special shout out to all of the listeners over the past four years. I mean, we've we've reached 90 different countries, 64,000 downloads. We appreciate the growth of the show, and it's all due to the listeners out there, the people who have supported the show, whether it's from day one or if this is your first time listening to the show because you saw the big name. Cool. Welcome aboard. We're excited to have you on here as listeners. Make sure to go give me a follow on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or even YouTube. You guys can come and follow me over there. I love um, engaging with the fans. I love engaging with listeners, any sports fan, anyone who wants to, to discuss sports in any capacity, come over there. That's where we have a, a little bit of a way to get away from the real world and uh, chat w uh, about sports and about the show. Um, introducing our guest on the show today. I mean, guys, super, super excited to bring this man on. Current coach of the South Bay Lakers, affiliate of the Los Angeles Lakers. He's had a professional career. We'll talk about that um, playing professionally, not only in the NBA, um, but also overseas. So we get a little bit of information about that. He's the host of the Curious Leader podcast. You don't want to miss that. Make sure to go follow that. We'll talk about that as well. And uh, he's a Boise State guy. So for anybody in the Treasure Valley who's listening, you're going to know the name. His name's Kobe Carl. Kobe, thanks so much for joining the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to to get back to the roots of Boise. We've been here for about a year now and uh, really enjoyed getting back into the community. That's awesome, man. So talking about that a little bit, right? We, When I was in high school was when uh, you came over to Boise State and the name, obviously everybody knew who George Carl was, right? That Everybody in the sports world knew who George Carl was. But we heard about his son was coming to, to Boise. And we're like, why did you choose Boise State? We were excited about it. We were wondering what what the reason was that you chose Boise State. So could you give us a little bit of a background on why you chose to play your, your college career at Boise State University? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, my stories, I mean, we're, all of our stories are unique, but my story is pretty unique. Um, I was a late bloomer. Uh, so, you know, I was out in Wisconsin playing high school ball when my dad was with the Bucks, And uh, we, I was on a very average high school team. You know, I was one of the better players or, you know, one of the best players on my team. But, you know, we weren't in a big time league or anything like that. So I was I wasn't highly recruited. I, I didn't have any D1 scholarship offers from anywhere. And then um, so I went and visited a couple of different universities and for walk on opportunities with the prospect of getting a scholarship the second year. Um, 
and my family's from this area. So my mom's side of the family's from Idaho. And so she, you know, my grandpa, they, they grew up in Ontario and Nampa area and they, they, he still is alive 93 or 94 right now. And my mom lives in Nampa right now. Uh, all my, you know, a bunch of my cousins, aunts, aunts and uncles are out here. So I was familiar with the area. Every time my dad would get fired, uh, in between jobs, we, we'd relocate to Boise for whatever, six months or a year. We live in McCall a little bit. So, and then McCall has always been like our families, like, I guess what, what's the word, um, you know, like safe place. We would always okay. go there in the summer. We, we had a, we had a, a rental up, up there. Um, so when I came and visited coach Graham had just got the job, uh, and, and really didn't have any recruits and, and they were transferring from being a really defensive minded team. I don't know if you guys remember, but it's mm -hmm. Joe Skiffer, Brian, the Pharisees, Jason Ellis, great defensive players. And they didn't really, you know, they didn't play offense. They just played defense. And so it was, it was kind of fun for me to have that, um, the chance to be that, you know, one of coaches first guys. And uh, it, it just seemed like a good opportunity, a great conference where we are going to be able to go to Hawaii, Louisiana tech. And um, so it's just a good combination, really high level basketball. I thought for the teams that I, I was looking at, and then I was familiar with the city, um, you know, new exciting time for the university with coach Graham coming in and it just, it all kind of matched up for me. That's awesome. Shout out to Nampa. That's where I'm actually currently living. That's where we just built our new house. So shout out Nampa. We don't get to hear much about Nampa. So when you reference that, I was like, okay, let's get a little love for Nampa out here. Um, and then McCall, for those who don't know, who are listening outside of the state of Idaho, McCall's kind of up in the mountains, about two hours away from Boise. And it's a phenomenal city. People go there for, I mean, you can go there in the winter because it's fantastic. It's gorgeous. And you can go there in the summer because the lake's fantastic. Like you, it, It's a beautiful place. So uh, what Kobe's mentioned in there, that's their safe place. There's a good reason for that because it is out in the mountains and it's, it's just gorgeous, small little town, but uh, really, really pretty. Um, I do have a question for you then, Kobe, you, you know, you said you were a late bloomer. That's interesting. Cause um, I obviously nowhere near your skill level, but I was too a late bloomer and I graduated early. That was the problem is I was one of those kids that graduated when I was 17. Uh, that's just naturally how I was. I was always, I mean, I just started school when I was young, when I was a kindergarten, I was five years old. So when I got to my senior year in high school, I was 17 years old. I was just used to that, but I realized now coaching, you know, 16 year olds for club ball and just being around the game a lot more, you know, those guys who bloom late sometimes, I mean, it takes you 18, 19 years old to really hit your stride because your, your body matures and whatnot. But I am curious, you said, you know, you're, you were a late bloomer, you're playing at, at your high school. Was there a lot of pressure on your shoulders being the the son of a head coach in the NBA, um, a very well known and well-respected head coach in the NBA and having, you know, that, that just that coach feel and then saying, well, he's not to the skill set. Like he, this, his dad's an NBA coach. Well, why isn't he an NBA caliber right now? Like, did you ever have that pressure growing up? Yeah. I mean, the way you're, you're kind of presenting it, I guess I, I never felt that way, but I definitely had the pressure of, of knowing, you know, my dad would come to games and people would know who, who he was. And then eventually they find out who I was. And, you know, I really wasn't the best player on my team very often, especially at like the AAU level. I played with Dan Grunfeld, who ended up going to Stanford, and he was a really high-level recruit. Um, you know, a couple of these guys that were really good players. Um, so I definitely felt that the scrutiny of eyes being on me. Um, but the cool thing was was growing up around the NBA is – excuse me – uh, growing up around the NBA was I had the opportunity to be around really high level players and then really high level coaches. So I was in that environment 
of I could see these guys work. And and I actually just reached out to Michael Red the other day on Instagram. I just got on social media. So um, but Michael Red and Jason Hart were like two of the guys that really made an impression on me because when I was in Milwaukee with with my dad during the Bucks time, uh Michael Red got drafted by the Bucks in the second round and he he was gonna be a first round pick that first year and then got drafted to the Bucks in the second round and was playing behind Ray Allen and some other elite guard and ended up not playing the whole season as, as this guy who ends up, you know, going on to be a NBA multi-million dollar contract guy ends up winning a gold medal with the, with the USA team, but he didn't play the whole year. And then I would go before the game and try to get some shots up and whatever, help out with, with the assistant coaches and Michael Red and Jason Hart would be working their ass off for like an hour and a half before the game and grinding, grinding, grinding. And then by the end of the season, he started getting a little time because he, he was putting in that work and starting to kind of find his, his professional legs and kind of get his feel. And then, like I said, he ends up being an Olympian and goes on to be a you know a franchise player for multiple years in Milwaukee. Um, so that type of thing really made an impact on my life. Where while I didn't have the skills or necessarily the 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 body yet, I knew how to work, and I and I saw these guys put in the time. And it didn't necessarily matter that I wasn't the best player on my team at at that point. Uh, I knew if I just kept working that I could figure out ways to get on the court. I could figure out ways to win. Um, and you know, I think that's the benefit, uh, for like a young player is just go out and play, you know, you got to play so much. I learned so much granted. I'm talking about Michael Red and Jason Harden, these NBA players, but I learned so much from Brian DeFerris and Joe Skiffer and Jason Ellis and Booker neighbors, you know, these, these guys who were seniors when I was freshman because I was getting my ass kicked by them. So yeah, it's, uh, it, I mean, every, every part of the journey is so important. Guys, allow me to take a second and tell you about Sports Epreneur. Now, as an entrepreneur myself and a massive sports fan, this is the perfect platform for someone like myself and a lot of you guys out there. It's a content platform where sports and entrepreneurship collide. Collaboration and content marketing for the entrepreneur with a sports passion, just like me and you. I connected with their founder a couple of years back, and I'll tell you guys, we have a massive connection through sports and entrepreneurship, and he's just an amazing guy, and their team is absolutely incredible. The team at Sports E creates content for you and with you. Their content, which lives at sportse.io, includes stories like the missteps of the NCAA, an in-depth article on esports, and how to bring people together, which is also one of my favorite things because I always tell you guys sports bring people together. Now, Sports E also f- uh, features amazing guests on their podcast, including Thad Mata, AJ Vaynerchuk, and Colin Jones. So be sure to subscribe to their podcast on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcast. And here's the thing. The team at Sports E thinks that every entrepreneur that is willing should have their own content platform, and they want to help make that happen. So if you're an entrepreneur that's looking to start a podcast or build a website, write blog posts, or design social media posts, then you have to reach out to the team at Sports E. They make content creation accessible. Sports Epreneur, the content platform where sports and entrepreneurship collide. Learn more at sportse.io or connect with the founder on Twitter at Eric underscore Kaz. That's E-R-I-C underscore k-a-z man that's so cool and hearing those names like michael red i mean i'm a buckeyes fan so just i knew him i grew up watching him so like i I obviously knew who i followed his story but not knowing that that's really cool for me to hear uh 
because you were there behind the scenes seeing what the the work that was being put in a lot of Buckeyes fans even me at a younger age was wondering like oh I didn't understand like why he wasn't getting playing time obviously I understand it now like the the structure of how the NBA works and where you're at in the, the depth chart but the work that goes on behind the scenes he wasn't done working he was a phenomenal college athlete um but the work doesn't stop you got to keep putting the work in and it's cool that you were able to see that and then implement that into your your own life and then your name dropping you know BD and and book I mean I still play with those guys to this day um they're, I mean, I, they're competitors and it's cool. And like Jason Ellis and Skip, like it's cool to hear those names that you're dropping because they, they have a well, you know, well-known names in the Valley. Well, uh, they're well-respected. So super, super cool. You know, Kobe, so you, you go into Boise State. Um, I remember, I mean, that was during my high school days. And so like I followed you guys religiously. I mean, I love that team. I love the teams every year. Like the program was just awesome at that time. I'm curious, do you have a, a favorite memory um, of that particular span because you guys made it to like, I believe that it was the NIT. If I'm not mistaken, that's when you guys had to play at the Idaho center, uh, yeah. against green Bay, Wisconsin, or I think that might've been it. Um, that was a really cool game to be at. I can't remember who you guys played the first game, uh, and beat. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. So that's what it was. And then everyone's like, Oh shoot, they got to play again. Well, we have a conflict in schedule and then yeah. had to go to the Idaho center, which I went to and watched. And, and that was, it ended up, you guys should have blown them out, but then they ended up coming back and making it close. And it was just a really fun thing. But I'm curious, what was your favorite memory or do you have a couple that you could share uh, at your Boise State days? Yeah, no, it was ironic you brought that up because that was the first memory that came to mind was that uh, that game at the Idaho Center versus UWM, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And uh, and I was just a freshman playing with all those seniors. I just redshirted the previous year and, and made my way into the lineup, ended up starting at the end of the season. Um, and, and that was a really good team. Bruce Pearl was the head coach of that team. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, I, I grew up, uh, the, their best player was a couple years older than me in, in my high school conference. So like, I knew some of their players and, and they were like, you know, I looked up to those guys, some of those guys on that team. And, uh, at the end of the game, it was a close game and, and I wanted the ball. Like I, I remember, we got the ball in and I got fouled and I, and I was like, I was, I was excited to be that guy to shoot the free throws, which, you know, now I know as a coach, that's a valuable thing, right. Is to have someone who wants to be at the line. And, uh, and, and luckily I, I made them, I made the free throws and we ended up winning the game. And then we, we ended up eventually losing to Marquette at, at Marquette. But um, yeah, that was one of my favorite memories just because that team, like I said, that team impacted me so much because wow. BD and Joe Skiff and Jason, they didn't have that, that skill level. They had this intense competitive nature and, uh, this physical nature, like defensively, uh, you know, they, you weren't going to beat them physically or mentally. You had to beat them with skill. And so just being part of that group was, was, was an honor for me to, to learn so much from those guys. And, and that year was a lot of fun for us. We ended up, you know, having the most success of my, my four years playing. That's so cool. It's cool like to to think back as a fan, even just like remembering the game, the little things that happened. And I I may be mistaken, but I thought in the first NIT game when you guys were at uh, uh, at home, I yeah. swear you had a dunk that was a monster dunk. But I could be wrong. I, but I swear you like threw no, it down two handed. Yeah, I got one, and I didn't have many dunks in transition because I was a two foot. Uh, I'm a two foot jumper. Um, but yeah, I, I remember I got a dunk. It was uh, it was um, we 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 came out. We killed them. Like they were really yeah. a team. They, they were kind of in disarray and we came out and played really, really well. We were playing fast and getting, getting easy buckets and, and I ended up getting the dunk in transition. Um, 
but yeah, it was, uh, I remember Lou Almondson was a, a freshman on that team and he ended up playing, you know, having a, like a 10 year career in the NBA. And, uh, but they had, they had a couple of good players, but you know, now we're just being old remembering you know, all these old players. <laughs> no, it's cool though. Like I, 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 I like to geek out on that stuff. That's cool. So I do remember that then. And, 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 uh, you having a dunk and whatnot. I just like to follow the, the teams right here. I'm from the Valley. So like, I remember those, those days and it was good high school days for me too, just to be able to go to the games, with my friends and my family. So, um, as you go into your professional career, Kobe, you weren't new to, you're not new to the NBA. Obviously your dad, you know, you've been around the circuit. You were just talking about it, right? Like the experience is being around the NBA. You're not new to it, but as a player, uh, talk about that a little bit going from having, you know, you got a lot of minutes playing in college because of the player that you were, and then you're going into the NBA where it's a whole nother ball game. And talk to us about that transition for any of those athletes that are out there that are thinking that they they've got it all. Cause they're playing crazy minutes in high school and they want to go to the collegiate level. Well, all of a sudden everyone's at that level now. So you've got to figure out a way to get there. Um, talk to us about your transition into the NBA and what the experience was like for you as a player at this point. Now, not just a, I guess a son of a coach. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was different. Um, because as a ball boy, when I was really young and then being around my dad's teams as a, you know, an aspiring athlete, even working out with my dad's team when I was at Boise state, I'd go train with the nuggets guys in the summer. And so I was very familiar with those guys playing with a bunch of NBA guys, but being on the team, being paid with responsibilities, with the chance of getting cut, whole different ball game for me. Um, but as, as you were saying that you, you talk about these elite high school players who are really good at their level and then have to make the next step, like that next step is what really knocks people off. You know, they, they lose faith in themselves. They lose, they don't necessarily have the answers. And I think that's, that's where I, I had the benefit of what we talked about is, is I knew the grind, like, and I was familiar with that. And, and, uh, you know, the story that came to mind when you said that was actually my freshman year at Boise state. I remember, you know, all those guys I talked about. Um, There's a couple older guys that would came back, came back and played open gym with us too. And I was in open gym as a freshman, and I was at at the at the gym for probably an hour and a half, and I got to play two games because we kept getting our ass kicked, and I hadn't earned any respect. I, you know, physically wasn't there, couldn't couldn't get a win, and they're just kicking our ass. And and I remember I went. I was going to eat lunch and I was, I, I was crying because I couldn't, I just wasn't good enough to play at that level yet. And, you know, I think, I think those are the things that really I look back and I say, man, I'm so thankful that I, I had that wisdom to work and uh, that I, I could, you know, I had, even though I'm getting my ass kicked, I can put in the time and keep getting better. And I knew that, you know, when those individual sessions or the, the times when you go to the gym or uh, weightlifting or, you know, whatever it is, your, your sprint work or your, your cardiovascular work, whatever it is, I knew that if I put in more effort there, that that would transfer over. And I think that's what I see a lot of athletes, even, you know, for us in the G League, we're, we're basically a transition for, for these elite college players to become NBA players. And our job as a staff, a lot of the time is just keeping them going forward and not letting them, you know, get deterred by the physicality of a, you know, a grown man. Like Jason Ellis was one of my favorite teammates and, you know, Jason, he's six, six, but a rock uh, of a muscle. And when I played with him in the G league, he would play against like Hilton Armstrong, who was seven foot, went to UConn, was a lottery pick and Hilton couldn't score on him because Jason knew the angles was strong enough, knew how to do his work early. So all these things like will deter a young player 
But, you know, like that's why I bring up the story of that is when I went to the NBA, I was undrafted. And then I, uh, um, the Lakers invited me to the summer league. And so I kind of went back to my freshman year. It's like, okay, I got to prove myself. I got to put the work in. I'm, you know, I'm going to learn the system. I'm going to, you know, ask a bunch of questions, uh, be a great teammate, you know, all these, like all these things that we say as coaches, but I had the benefit of that because that was, that was what I grew up around with my father. And, you know, that benefited me well until, until it didn't. Right. Uh, and then I, I ended up getting cut, but, as as a 15th guy or 13th guy on the roster i i would just do the work just keep doing the work we just had genie bus on my podcast and that that's that's what she kept talking about was just do the work just do the work you know and and what i mean by that is you know rather than me not playing as you said is i'm gonna stay in shape i'm gonna if i'm not playing that means i can get in the weight room more that means i can get on the floor and do more skill development work i can go you know, play one-on-one, two-on-two against other guys who aren't playing. So there's always work to be done. Uh, you just have to, you have to know and, and, and figure out what, what that work is for you. That is huge. Um, just doing the work. So I was going to ask you, you know, like what, what advice you would give to these guys? I mean, obviously you're at the NBA level. That's, that's a different, that's a different level, but for even the, the, the young guys here in high school that are, that are trying to play and they might find themselves as an eighth or ninth man um, on the bench. They're not getting the minutes they want, you know, maybe five to 10 minutes a game. If that currently um, I guess you pretty much just answered it is do the work. Is there any other advice as a coach and as somebody who's been through it yourself that you would give to them outside of just doing the work? Or is that kind of like the solidified answer? I mean, there's like within that answer that the work is different for every person, right? Um, you know, like I, I think the hardest thing to do as a human being for me is to look at myself and really take a, like, know who I am and figure out, you know, what am I capable of and without putting a ceiling on, on, on what I'm capable of, but also not being unrealistic. So I say that if, if you're a five ten or a five, eight point guard, you know, like going, getting in the weight room and getting beefed up, isn't going to necessarily be the work for you. You know, you got to be strong enough to play at that level, but maybe it's maybe it's just playing against better competition and not turning the ball over, or maybe it's picking up full court every time you play open gym. And it doesn't matter if your friends get pissed at you. You know, like it, it's just different. You got to find out where you fit in. And as we talk about this, all I, all I can really think about is team. It's you know, it's a team sport. So um, within our country, I, I believe our skill development is getting better and better, but uh, you know, where you're seeing other countries excel past us with the skill, with the, with the game of basketball is, is these players are playing with pros at a really young age. Doncic is, is a great example right now. You know, he's been playing in Spain since he was 13 years old against pros against, you know, guys that were 30 years old that were just in the NBA. And, and so I, I bring that up and just to say that as you are playing on the, on in the team and you're looking for more opportunity from your, your coach or whatnot, realize that it's a team game. So it's not necessarily your coach, but w- what holes can you fill? You know, can you be the best um, help side defender on the team? Can you be the best communicator? Because those things make everyone on the floor better. Um, and, and, you know, that, that was, I had the benefit of growing up in that world and knowing those things. And that was kind of what, what got me to help getting to the next level and the next level, because those things, are the same at every level. If you're a great teammate in seventh grade and you're a great teammate in high school and you're a great teammate in college and a great teammate in pros, like I just talked to Jared Dudley today, 
he's like the best teammate in the NBA. And he's, and he was undrafted like I was undrafted at the same year. But like, I knew he was going to be successful because he just knew how to fit in. You know, it's like, there's everyone wants to be the star guy and get the attention, but not too many people put their attention on, you know, what can help my team right now. You know, if, if you're the best scorer on my team, we don't need another scorer. We need someone who's going to get me open or, you know, make it easier on me or, or say, Hey, like, let me pick, pick up the ball this time. So you can get your legs under you, you know, like, um, you know, being, being selfless is, is such a skill that I think is being underdeveloped in, in, in our game right now. That is so huge. And the name dropping there too. And I didn't know Dudley was uh, undrafted with you the same year. I'd see, this is good stuff. Um, and I hope the listeners, whether you're a parent or an athlete, um, or just a fan alike, but specifically parents and athletes, like listen and take notes to what Kobe's saying, because you know, what's, what's going on. Um, you did have, you mentioned the overseas game. And before we get there, I did want to ask you one last question about being part of the Lakers organization prior to now, where you're, you're obviously in that organization as a coach for the South Bay Lakers. But when, as a player, who was the best player you played with and against during that time? Uh, my time with the Lakers. Yes, sir. Oh, Kobe Bryant. <laughs> okay, so that's the easy answer. But can you tell people why? So yeah, so for everybody understanding, he was there during the Kobe era. Why was Kobe though? Like, give us a specific for anybody who hasn't listened to Tim Grover's book or read Tim Grover's book, Relentless or whatever. Tell us why, as somebody who was there and and watched him, why was Kobe Bryant the best player you played with? Um, you know, at that level, what I've learned now um, at my age is. The, there's certain people that just have this insatiable need to win and it's, and it doesn't make sense. And it doesn't matter if they win once. It doesn't matter if they win twice. It is like, they can't stop themselves. And that's what Kobe had is he did not care who the fuck you were. He didn't care, you know, you know, how many times that you, we just, that, that they just beat you. They don't care if you're undrafted. They don't care if you're the number one pick. It, he, wants to beat whoever's in front of him and and it goes for his daughter and wh whoever his family he, that's it's just like the competitive nature now what made kobe special is that he understood the work too and i, I and i and so he had he had this drive to be the best but he also recognized i mean if you watch the muse and 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 some of the stuff that he left us with before he passed is he realized within his failures that there was room for him to grow, you know? So like when we, when we reach our failures and, and we're crying on the way to the sub after open gym, like I was, is if you can locate, um, if you can access the area that you failed at or that you weren't good enough at, and then go put that time in, go put the effort in, go ask the questions. Like, I think that's what made Kobe so special is he was smart, he knew where his failures came from. He was willing to admit those failures, at least to himself, not, not to other people. And then he would go put the work in and then, and then he had the drive, but you know, the, the work is, is, is always going to be there. If whoever we talk about as a successful person, it's, it's, it's going to be the work. Like you can have talent as long as you get, when you get to the next level, that talent is similar or isn't as good. And then you got to put the work in hundred percent, man. That's super powerful too. Just to hear that. See, I, I, this is the stuff I like, um, and interviewing people like yourself who are willing to elaborate a little bit more 
Um, that, that's, that's where our listeners learn. That's where I learn. That's where our listeners learn from. Cause yeah, we all know Kobe was good. Like everybody understand, but if you were there at, at a personal level and you can see that, um, and then articulate that, that's, that's the best piece about this. So that's a golden nugget. I appreciate that. Well, well, uh, was I mean, there... as you say that, sorry to interrupt, but as you oh, say good? that, um, like I was talk- talking to someone, Kobe, and I heard this, I never actually saw it in person, which I believe it though, because this is the, his mind was very, um, beginner oriented and what i mean by that is he didn't feel like he knew anything until he like felt it inside himself so like he he would go into the gym from the story that i heard and to start his individual workouts he would do 10 minutes with no basketball just footwork you know like these are the things that uh you see uber talented high school college kids that can create their own shot but they don't have the footwork you know it's a it's a natural instinct from survival from wherever you grew up you know new york kids with the handle or the chicago you know seattle jim all crawford all these guys but like kobe would put in the time to really master things at a level that i don't think most would and and what you see with that next level of guy is they know that mastery comes from just repetition, repetition, doing the work, doing the work. And, and to be able to go into a gym and not touch a basketball while you're on the basketball court and just work, work through your footwork, pinch post footwork, post up, you know, mid post, you know, wing footwork, you know, the, the defensive footwork. I mean, it's when you really think about it, it makes a lot of sense, but who has the patience and the courage to, to do something so different? Totally, man. That's so cool. And I can totally believe that too. I always talked about Kobe's footwork. Like I was always like, dude, that's one of the things that made him elite because his footwork was unbelievable. He'd get himself in the right position to give himself an advantage. And his footwork was so like, people don't focus on that. And that is, so when you're talking about that, I'm like, oh my gosh, it totally makes sense. That's awesome, man. Um, in the NBA, uh, first off, like, cause I want to talk about your professional career overseas too, because I'm actually really, really interested in that. That's a focus I've put on my show before is talking about the the global impact of basketball there are some really talented athletes across the globe just because they're not in the nba people say oh well they're not in the nba so they're not good hoopers that is i i I believe that's completely false um i think there's some amazing basketball players all over the world i mean the nba is just limited on who can be in there and sometimes it's a business game um but before we get there when you were you know in the nba during your stints with different teams just playing against somebody obviously kobe was the guy you played with but against somebody who was the the best athlete that you you came across just seeing him on the floor being like dang like i've watched this guy for a while but he is the real deal um best athlete i guess i'll say the best player i mean I, they were on the same they were on the floor at the same time and, and we they're still elite in the nba today was when i i got a 10 day with the warriors and uh we played oklahoma city when they when they had the the big three so the best athlete was Russell Westbrook, uh, just seeing his explosiveness, quick twitch, and you know everything he does, the aggression he plays with. And then the best player was Kevin Durant. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, Don Nelson was the coach of the time, and he put me in at the at the small forward position to guard Kevin Durant. And you know, I was a physical defender. I had long, I have long arms, and it was like I wasn't even there. You know, and and he just like he like he's just so tall, so long, you know, so skilled. Uh, you know, plays with a fluidity that you you can't really load up on him and be over physical with him because he's just a really natural athlete and uh, has a high skill level. So those are the two guys for sure. Um, I remember 
that game, it was my first game on the 10 day and we were mid season. It was Steph's rookie year and they were getting, we were getting our ass kicked as a team. And he put me in the second quarter to start the second quarter. I got four fouls on Kevin Durant in like the first six minutes of playing against him. And then Don Nelson leaves me in the game in the second quarter with four <laughs> fouls. Uh, uh, it's a great, you know, I, I love the, I love like when coaches do it differently. And so I, I definitely learned a lesson from when he did that, when he left me in, I was like, all right, cool. I'll just play through it. You know, like I'm not going to complain. Oh, good old Don Nelson. That's crazy though. And, and, those guys, like you just said, they're still they're still hooping today. They're still elite ballers. I think uh, Westbrook just got. I mean, they just mentioned he's like the Wizards' all time leader in triple doubles, and he's only been there for a handful of games for the season. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's craziness how how good he still is, and obviously KD, uh, the elite player that he is. That's cool, man. You know, Kobe, going over to your professional career overseas, um, a lot of a lot of guys have a pride issue. Uh, I've talked to a lot of guys that they they struggle with pride because like oh, I'm going overseas and. It's because I couldn't make it. They have this like th that's a mind game. Um, I'm curious what your thoughts were when you when you went overseas. Were you excited? Were you was it a fresh start? Was it just what you know? What was the mindset for you in your particular situation? And what was the 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 experience for the the years that you played over there for different organizations? I mean, I know every organization's different. Um, I've heard horror stories of people playing overseas because the contracts are never like finalized and this or that or housing situations are weird, but some organizations are different. So I'm curious to hear uh, your experience playing overseas. Yeah, it, it, it changed as, as my career went on. Okay. You know, early in my career, I played with the Lakers for my rookie year, got cut the day before the season. My second year played with the stampede and was having a really good season. The second season, my second season and my agent convinced me to go play in Europe and go play in Spain. And um, my mindset at that time was, I want to play in the NBA. Like I want to be an NBA player. I want to prove that I'm an NBA player. And I felt like I was really, really close. But then my agent said, just convinced me that this was the best opportunity. Uh, <laughs> opportunity. Ricky Rubio was on our team. You know, they're going to play in the Copa del Rey, which is like the biggest tournament, one of the biggest tournaments in Europe. It's the top eight teams from the Spanish league. And, you know, a ton of NBA scouts are going to be there, you know, yada, yada, yada. He went down the list. So I wanted to be in the NBA though. So that first, that first one for me was a little struggle because my expectation was, all right, all right, I'm going to go here, kill it, and then try to get back in the NBA. Like, this is going to be my route to the NBA. But that's not how life works. You know, it, it, I didn't kill it because the, the players over there are so good. It's a, diff, it's a very different game. It's a more physical game, less fluidity, less space. You know, no, no, no defense of three seconds. So we, we can go down the list there. But uh, just – bottom line was I wasn't good enough at that point. And, and I came to a really good team and just didn't play a lot. Wasn't good enough and kind of was humbled. And then as my career went on, I would go back and and really enjoyed the experiences. Uh, I remember I got cut. I came back, played for Cleveland for half season, got cut, went to the stampede and then um, got that 10 day with the Golden State Warriors. And then after that season, I'd played on, I'd played on Cavs, uh, stampede warriors stampede and they got called up to the nuggets at the end of the season never played a game so I, I played for you know four teams five teams if if you include the stampede twice um and after that season i said i just want to be on a team i just want to play basketball right. so that that was when i went back to spain on a, on a lower level team and i was just excited to be there i just wanted to play i wanted to prove myself um and then over the years, I ended up getting to Italy and Germany in different situations. 
but uh my wife was always with me and my girlfriend at the time and we just learned so much from the culture you learn so much from the european countries how different they are like the italians compared to the spanish compared to the germans like i, I have a, a coaching friend who's in lithuania right now and he coached in germany last year and he's like blown away by you know how well germany ran stuff compared to how, how lithuania is so i mean the the stories go on and on but absolutely you're absolutely right when you talk about the just it's just different um you know, the contract doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get your money on time, depending on what country. If it's Germany, you'll get it on time. If it's, you know, I've heard bad things from Turkey. I've heard, you know, I don't want to solely, solely countries names, but you know, it's really dependent on, it's like anything. It's, if you go to a really bad business and it's just, you're not going to get the same, same thing as you would from a really high level business that cares about their product. And in Europe, um, unfortunately, because basketball is like usually the second tier sport compared to football or soccer, you, there's not as much money there. There's not as much organization there. Um, and so you, you just get what you get. Interesting, man. And for someone like yourself, I mean, you were mentioning crazy teams and, and, and traveling a lot. It's probably not being the, the son of a coach, you know, maybe you had experience traveling because you had mentioned like if when, when your dad had lost his job you'd go to back to Idaho for a period of time and so forth at the beginning of the interview, you mentioned that, but did that take a toll on you and your, your girlfriend and your spouse um, having to go from place to place? Even that once you were talking about the stampede Cavs, um, the 10 day with the warriors, the nuggets, all that. And then you're overseas, all that stuff. Did, does that take a toll on you having to move from place to place? Like, I mean, you're packing your bags, you're going here. I hate moving. That's why I'm asking that question. Like I absolutely yeah. hate moving. So I want to know what your thoughts are there. Is that hard? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, it can be, but for the most part, it was enjoyable. Um, so like I, I would go back to, like you said, my father being a coach, I was, I was accustomed to moving like transition was our life. Like I was just talking to my sister the other day, we, we moved like some ridiculous amount of times before I was like 13 years old. And we ended up in Seattle and we were there for, we were there for seven years. But before that I was born in Montana. We went to Cleveland, came to Idaho. Uh, my dad coached in Golden State. We went to Albany, New York. We went to Madrid, Spain, back to Albany, back to Madrid. You know, so like we had been everywhere and in between seasons, we'd come back to Idaho, you know. So um, I was very accustomed to it. it. The toll that's taken for the, for the listeners who have kids is, is, you know, I didn't get to plant roots anywhere. So I didn't have like a friend that I knew other than like my cousins that I knew consistently every season. So that was really difficult because I was always the new kid. And, and that definitely left a scar on me even to this day. It's just, I'm not necessarily comfortable with that long-term relationship. You know, I'm, I'm getting better at it as I get older because I, I'm, see, I'm seeing these faces reappear in my life more and more. But growing up, I just didn't have like that same group of friends that you have every year. Um, but as I became an adult, I, I loved it. Um, the adventure of changing cities, getting to know a new culture. I got to know, I got to learn Italian and Spanish, the languages and, you know, learn how to communicate in different languages, culinary things, you know, Italian foods and wines. And so, you know, I think uh, it reminds me a lot of training, right? Is it, it's difficult at first until you see the rewards of it, you know, like, you know, whatever you're bench pressing those 40 pound dumbbells and then you're like, you're, you're struggling. And then a month later, you know, those forties are easy and, and it's more fun, man. What, what can I try now? What can I get up to the 50, the 55s? And so that's kind of what it reminds me of is, you know, once you rip the bandaid off and, and kind of get through some of those mental fears 
a friction in your head, it, it, it really becomes enjoyable. And, and those, uh, you know, I'll be so forever thankful for those life experiences. So awesome, man. It's, it's so cool to hear that. Like, and, and the way that you just, you know, you embraced it and you learned and all those cool things. And I think that's huge. It, it helps you develop as a human being, not just as an athlete, but yet like, you know, you're learning different languages, you're learning different cultures. That's, that's huge for life. You know, Kobe, as you get into the, the G league as a coach, I mean, you've had some experience, uh, but currently with the South Bay Lakers, um, coaching in the G league, you, you had mentioned earlier, it's a transition, uh, for some of these elite college players to get into the NBA and so forth. The G league, uh, which used to be known as the D league, like it has been, there have been some massive, um, changes for the better, in my opinion, prior to the pandemic, obviously everybody was affected by the pandemic situation, but I mean, I still think it's in a good spot because of the affiliation with the NBA. I, I feel like it's, it's better suited to keep the players here rather than putting them overseas. I would like to get your opinion on that because I want to know what was different from early on in your playing career professionally compared to now in the G league, which was the D league at the time. Like what's the differences? Do you feel like it's improved in that regard for, you know, now we're keeping these elite guys here. They get paid a little bit better and they did back then um, for the most part. And they have, a, I feel like they have more opportunities with the G League, the way it's structured now to get into the, to the NBA. Yeah. I mean, I'll just, I'll answer that with the long winded answer of when I got into the G League or uh, that time it was the D League, um, they had A contracts, B contracts and C contracts. So the A contract was 24,000 for whatever, six months, which, you know, it's 4,000 a month. It's pretty good pay. And then the the B was eighteen thousand, and then the C was twelve thousand. So like we had guys making very limited amounts of money. You get housing, you get very limited amounts of per diem. Um, when I was with the Stampede, we were practicing in the Boys and Girls Club down off Park Center. Uh, you know, in the winter, the heat wouldn't be on at seven a.m. So you know, like we'd be wearing sweatshirts and hoodies, and wow, you, you know, uh, our locker room was was. I'm not even kidding. This is not an exaggeration. It was like a, uh, like a janitor's like closet and they like basically transformed it for us. And so, um, just terms of facilities, like you said, being connected to the NBA team, it's, it's drastically different. Um, now the salaries are, uh, everyone gets 35,000 a month, which is a, a really good salary for five or six months that you're in the G league. And, and most guys, uh, there's a NBA rule. It's called the exhibit 10 where you can sign for a training camp invite and you can get anywhere from five to $50,000 on top of that 35,000. So salary is much different. Um, you know, for, for us in LA, we have extraordinary complex to, to train. We're, we're part of the Lakers organization and we're part of, we're in the same building as them too. So we share a weight room with them. We share a practice facility. We have our own locker room and, lounge and training room and wet room with cold tubs, hot tubs, all that. Um, so like just looking at it from that standpoint, drastically different, um, much more opportunity for guys to take advantage of things. Granted, they have to take advantage of it and they have to learn some of these pro habits. Um, but I was talking to someone yesterday about, you know, youth sports and, and, and the G league as well. And we were talking about, it's just when it was, you know, when the Idaho stampede were in Idaho, their business. So they're trying to win games. They're, they're trying to promote players. They're trying. And, and sometimes those don't necessarily align with the development of players. You know, when, when you send a guy from the Portland trailblazers here and, and we got a good rhythm going and whoever it is, Roberto Bergeson's playing really well. And they send Patty Mills down and Patty really isn't ready for the pro game yet. 
but he's got to play 25 minutes a game. You know, it, it kind of corrupts the integrity of the game. It corrupts the integrity of team. And, um, but if, when you have that as your primary objective is development, which, which it is now for almost all organizations, um, it's, there's an understanding going into this is, Hey, listen, our, our Lakers guys are going to get, get playing time. When they come down to us, they're going to play and most likely going to start and be a big piece of what we're doing. So that's the understanding. This is, this is what you signed up for. Um, whereas back then in the D league, um, you know, there, I, I know, I know Bill Islet, who, who was part of that ownership group with the stampede. And I know they have many, many fights with the Utah jazz and the Denver nuggets and the Portland trailblazers because, you know, whoever it was that rookie didn't want to be in Idaho and didn't want to play in the D league and was being an asshole and, you know, was talking back to the coach and it just creates a lot of conflict. Right. But now with the one-to-one relationship for, for each team, it, it definitely uh, makes it much simpler and then the vision can be aligned. Guys, I know there's a lot of you out there who listen to my podcast and you've told me, I want to start my own podcast or I need to build a website or write some blogs or design a social media post. You know what? Go over to Sportsypreneur. The team at Sportsy can make that happen for you. Remember, Sportsypreneur is the content platform where sports and entrepreneurship collide. So make sure to go to sportsy.io. They'll take care of you or connect with their founder, at Eric underscore Kaz on Twitter. That's E-R-I-C underscore K-A-Z. Uh, that's that's interesting to hear. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think that that's, that's the one-to-one alignment, like the for the most part, across the league is huge. I love that you guys have the facility. I mean, LA is like blessed to have that. Like they, they I mean, there's a lot of revenue generated through the, the Lakers system. I think I just read yesterday, 200 million just off TV revenue alone. So anyways, it's, there's a lot of revenue in a big market, but um and just having that accessibility to, and, and you're around the other players, you're around that other organization. So the coaches and the players learn from that as well. Uh, and I am curious, do you guys run the same sets as like, now that you have these affiliations with each team specifically, and we're trying to get it, do you guys run similar sets so that like the transition, if said player gets called up, can just easily transition into the other team? Or how does that work? Do you guys have to kind of work together with the Lakers coaching staff? Yeah. Uh, uh, yes and no. So, oh, okay. Um, so I had, my, I was hired when Luke Luke Wallen was the head coach, and now Frank had kind of a different vision. Luke was like, hey, listen, I'm learning how to be a head coach. You do your thing. I'm going to do my thing. Whatever you can align with us, that would be great because it would really help us out. But, you know, just figure it out. Do whatever you want to do. Feel it out. And then Frank was, was, was said, hey, I want you to do exactly what we're doing. Um, where the understanding comes in from Frank's part is, um, we're in training camp. Our whole staff is in training camp. You know, our, our coaching staff is in training camp with them, and about four or five of our players are in training camp with the Lakers. So we get to learn that system. You know, the general system: defensive execution, offensive execution, some of the sets, plays, concepts. Where what happens? Where it's really difficult, and and we haven't mastered. Which you know, mastery is a is a daily thing. But where we have where we can get better, and some teams are better than others, is. Um, you know, throughout a season, the Lakers will add a set, you know, and, and, and I'm not in shoot around. So I don't, you know, I don't know that set. I don't know the execution. I don't know the teaching of it, you know? So, so you kind of, you kind of get mixed in right there with that. And then the other, the other thing that we talk a lot about is, you know, um, we don't have Anthony Davis and LeBron James. So for us, it doesn't make sense to post up our three men because he doesn't have an advantage in the post. 
you know, for us, it doesn't necessarily make sense to play in a drop coverage on the pick and roll because Anthony Davis isn't, or Dwight Howard or JaVel McGee or now Andre Drummond isn't back there to block that. We, we have a undersized big, you know? So like, it, you know, scheme wise, um, yeah, we try to mimic and, and replicate a lot of what, what the, what the other team is doing. So it, so it makes it easier for our guys when they go up that they can have success. But um, with the understanding that our point guard is not the same point guard, you know, our point guard might be a scoring point guard while the Lakers have Rondo, who's, who's more of a facilitator, you know, so you can't necessarily just put, you know, a square peg into a round hole. <laughs> that's, that's the best analogy and the best comparison. Like that's the best ex- explanation you could have there. Totally understand. Um, as, as we wrap up the interview, Kobe, it's been amazing talking to you. So I appreciate you joining us. I just want to know from your experience being around the game, being around sports, your entire life, specifically basketball. Um, what would be the number one thing you'd say that sports has taught you for life? What, what's the number one thing that sports has taught you for, for life? Um, the thing that comes to mind is, is we're all on the same team. You know, I think being, being, you know, I'll go a little deeper with the wisdom, you know, the, the, the divisiveness that our country's kind of been through over this last year, um, what we're going to experience as we come out of this pandemic, uh, you know, reconnecting with people, reconnecting with our societies and our communities um, is just as an athlete, you learn very early that, we're on the same team. We can compete as we, as, as much as we want, but we're all, we're all, we're all in this for the same thing. And, and, you know, I think that's the number one thing that I've learned is, is to be a better teammate to, you know, Pete Carroll talks about this. Uh, he got it from Bill Russell was, you know, when you wake up, when you start practice, you know, our mindset should be, how can I help my teammates be better today? You know, how can I make them a better team or better player today? And I think that's what, you know, being part of a team allows you, you can put all the work in and all the grind, but unless like we talked about earlier, unless you can fit into that team, then it, it really doesn't do help anything. You know, it's kind of, it's, it happens in a void. So I think that's, that's the biggest lesson for me is um, just, just really trying to connect with other people and, and understand that we're all trying our best and, and we're all trying to figure it out and we all want to be part of something bigger than ourselves. And we all want to grow and we're seeking these things outside of ourselves. Um, just maintaining that understanding that other people can help and, and, that, and, and together we can do things better. So I think that that's the, that's the one thing that came to mind when you asked the question. I love it, man. Absolutely love it. Where can we find you, Kobe? And where can we hear your podcast and all the information, man? You said you got it on the social media just recently. So yeah. if you want people to follow you, shout it out here and we'll put it in the description if you don't that's totally understandable too but hey if you want them there and if you want them to uh, follow your podcast let them know because i want to share that um if you if you have the time yeah no the podcast is is called the curious leader with kobe carl and you can get it on you know itunes or spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and then uh, i'm on twitter uh kobe carl i think it's one and then uh i'm on uh, instagram at kobe carl five um you should be able to find me. Uh, there might be a couple fakes out there, but um, <laughs> we'll, we'll link them in the description so you can find yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> so. Absolutely. So uh, no, but I mean that that that's the cool. You know, that's the cool thing about social media is the ability to connect. You know, this opportunity presents itself because of it. So, so I appreciate your time, and it's been fun to talk basketball.
Absolutely, brother. I appreciate you. For all the listeners out there, um, I'll put the links here again for, for Kobe's podcast as well as his Instagram and Twitter handles here for you guys. Make sure to go follow him. Appreciate everybody tuning in. Appreciate Kobe's time. And you guys know the drill. Make sure you guys tune in. Subscribe to the podcast. Leave me a review if you can. And uh, we'll be coming to you next week with another interview. Take care. Appreciate it. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars and leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.